Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. This episode of Smarter Trading is sponsored by Investors Business Daily. IBD has been around for over 35 years, helping investors navigate each and every market cycle. If you want the best analysis and actionable trade ideas from the leader in growth investing, check out IBD Digital. Go to investors.com slash Evan, that's E-V-A-N, to get your first two months for only $20. Subscribe today and start trading smarter at investors.com slash Evan. Thank you, IBD, for supporting financial education and making this episode possible. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Nikki Dunn, a trader, investor, and certified financial planner. Nikki is the creator of She Talks Finance, a financial education platform to help people learn money in a fun and approachable way. In this episode, we talk about Nikki's framework for picking companies and investing in stocks. She discusses the fundamental criteria she looks for, trading around positions, and the mental side of holding stocks for the long haul. We also get into the value that a certified financial planner brings to the table and some of the optimization points active traders should think about, like trading in the right account structures, taxes, and a lot more. Please enjoy this episode with Nikki Dunn. Where are you? Where are you calling from? Today? I'm in Austin, Texas. Nice. So you are you are at the epicenter of all the inflow. That's where everybody's rushing to right now. <laughs> Tell me about it. The housing <laughs> prices, the rent. It's it's a mess over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good if you're already established, because then at yeah. least I guess um, it is for home. We we don't own a home. We're renters. We're nomadic. So um, you know. That's been our story, but uh, we do have a lot of friends that have been homeowners for a while here, and they're just beside themselves with their home values right now. It's so funny. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. Lots of home equity being racked up for sure. For sure. Um, so I know a little bit about your origin story. I know at one point you were a day trading renegade slinging around <laughs> stock uh, all over the screen, but I, I don't think... <laughs> You're doing much of that today. So why don't you give us a little bit of your sort of progression, how you get started and kind of where you are today as a trader? Yeah. So I actually started day trading futures and then I transitioned into day trading individual stocks. I was like, you know what? Like stocks seem sexy and cool. I want to learn how to do this. So um, I ended up journeying there and um you know, it was, it was a grind like day trading, day trading has been glamorized, um, over the years, especially over the past year with wall street bets and, you know, all of that fun stuff. Um, but it's a grind. Like you gotta be doing watch lists every single day. You have to be, you know, at your desk. If you get up to use the bathroom, you could lose an opportunity or miss an opportunity in day trading. You know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of tough. I mean, yes, you can set uh, limit orders and things like that, but I was always, I was always very controlling, uh, over my day trading. And I wanted to like be there when the order filled and, you know, just, just, I just was kind of a little bit crazy about that, but I got a little burnt out about it. And, um, then I ended up, you know, having trouble because the market was shifting, you know, back when I started trading futures, it was kind of like the heyday, um, and things were, things were good. And then the algorithms kicked in, they got harder and harder. And then with the day trading, it was kind of the same thing. My strategy was working and then the strategy just kind of stopped working and all of my stops were getting hit and 
then you had to pull your stops back and you had to increase your risk. And, you know, it was just kind of this, this, this progression. And I was finally, you know, uh, introduced to somebody that kind of changed the whole trajectory of my whole investing and trading uh, strategy. I met a prior uh, hedge fund uh, guy. He's, he's actually today a great friend of mine. He's on my, uh, the podcast with myself and my husband on We Talk Money. And um, he ran a hedge fund for years. And he's a very experienced professional investor. And, you know, we would all go out for, for drinks. And, you know, we were just friends. But we had this in common, the, mar- the markets in common. And he would, you know, talk to me about, you know, his strategy. I would poke at him and ask him a bunch of questions. And he's really the one who got me into fundamental stock investing. So I completely switched my strategy from day trading just on technicals to more of a swing trading slash long-term investing fundamentally, um, you know, driven. But I was able to take a lot of what I learned from my technical analysis because, I mean, technical analysis is something that I'm very fond of. You know, I don't think it's voodoo like a lot of people do. I think it's a tool. It's not necessarily something that you can fully count on, but it's a it's a tool. And so I was able to combine my skill set with technical analysis and the fundamentals and kind of put them together and marry them together. And I've really found that strategy to help me a ton. So that's kind of the progression from day trader to more fundamental, longer term investor. That makes a lot of sense. And And on some level, it's sort of common to kind of start off with the with the action craze of like hey I'm going to get rich I'm going to you know trade stocks and and be super quick and and then slowly you realize like oh this is hard this takes a lot of work this takes a ton of emotional discipline and fortitude to not just want to blow your brains out at the end of the day uh, <laughs> when things aren't going well and you kind of go to that longer term sort of uh, approach which sounds like that's kind of the path that you took. It's a very similar path to what I took. Um, and I think the cool thing, and tell me if you agree, but the, the lessons we learn as day traders to really be humbled by the market, to understand price action. I mean, that is invaluable when you start mm-hmm. taking it to the longer term approach even, which is, would you agree to that? I agree a thousand percent. I, I wouldn't suggest people go day trading first. I would suggest, you know, learn the basis of the market, invest, get long-term invested. And then, you know, if you are interested in trading, then you have at least, you know, a foundation. But what I will say is that my experience day trading, I actually ended up um, really fine-tuning the um, the mental side of trading, you know, while I was doing that, I, I had the discipline to be able to teach myself how to not be emotional and think more calculated and create a strategy to help me uh, not be emotional. But I'm, I consider myself maybe one of the lucky ones. Like there are a lot of people that don't learn those lessons. Um, but I do think overall people that are day trading, they are, um, taking a lot of things with them into the long-term strategy that helps them, um, you know, for years, years on end, you know, going into retirement. So I do totally agree with that. When you think about your approach today, so you're kind of marrying the technicals with the fundamentals. I mean, is it fair to say, do you consider yourself like a macro trader? You're starting at the top or is it all kind of like the company from the ground up? I care about companies over the macro environment. So I will say part of my portfolio, the way I've done it now is part is is passively invested, which is like investing in funds, you know set it and forget it strategy. The other part is I actively invest a a section of my capital where I'm picking stocks, I'm researching, I'm looking at macro trends. I'm, you know, what's the Fed going to do next? What's monetary, you know, and fiscal policy? What's going on here? How is this going to affect the market and interest rates and inflation? Like I do pay attention to a lot of those things um, for the purpose of my active portfolio because if you get into a bunch of stocks, the fundamentals look great, you know, that's fine. But you want to be aware of where the overall market stands and where the overall economy stands because it helps you reduce or eliminate surprises 
that, you know, if the market does correct 10%, 15%, and all of your stocks, even though they're fundamentally sound, you know, the market is just selling off. So everything's selling off. It kind of helps you stay level-headed. You know, you're like, okay, I know nothing fundamentally is changing here. The market is just selling off for, you know, whatever reason it may. And of course, that reason may end up being something to worry about if sure. we're moving into a recession or, you know, if the Fed is going to raise interest rates or something like that, you know, that's, of course, something to think about. Um, but generally, I do kind of, I, I do pay attention to the macro, but I don't let it necessarily derail me if I have a strong fundamental thesis in an investment, especially if it's long term. So you have your magnifying glass out dissecting Jerome Powell's words, but but not too much, uh, not not too crazy, but but just enough to uh, understand what he's talking about. I got it. Yeah, um, yeah. So no, that makes sense, and I like that approach. And it, I totally agree. I mean, understanding the climate, the landscape that we're in is just a smart thing to do if you're going to be, you know, putting money at risk and investing in longer term ideas or position trades. So when we start talking about maybe the company side of things, when you say you're doing kind of fundamental analysis or homework on a stock, what is what does that actually mean? What what are some mm -hmm. of the things you're looking for when you're picking individual stocks? Yeah, so, you know, the first few things that I look at when I see a ticker and I'm like, "Oh, this is an interesting company. Let me dive in." I'll look at things like revenue growth, you know, how quickly are they growing revenues? Are we looking at a high growth company? Are we looking at something maybe lower growth that's more of a value stock type of situation? Um, I'm looking at, you know, how much debt they have. I'm looking at their valuation, something like an enterprise value to sales type of um, valuation metric that I'll actually take and I'll compare that uh, valuation metric to other similar companies and kind of see, okay, where are we at with this company? Is this company overvalued compared to this? Undervalued? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is there room here for growth? And then, you know, if all of that looks good to me, that's when I decide to dive in a little deeper. Um, I listen to, you know, all of the, the recent earnings calls, try to get a feel for where management stands, how management sounds. Um, sometimes you can hear in the earnings calls that management has no clue what they're doing. And sometimes they sound really sharp and really, you know, focused. Um, it's kind of funny. So I try to, of course, not, you, you can't always, you know, sometimes they swoon you and sound like everything's rosy, but everything's not rosy too. But, you know, it's just something I do. Um, and if, if, you know, I, I try to figure out what their growth levers are. Uh, I try to figure out where could this company go next? What are they not doing that they could be doing? What are they talking about doing that's going to help them grow and expand? And um, I try to uh, just kind of take all of that and put it together and, and make a decision uh, as to if it's worth my capital to invest in it or not and where I think it could go. Is the risk to reward there for me, essentially? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you really get your arms around kind of the whole, the whole stock, the company, and really sort of understand kind of everything that's going into it. So does that mean, so I, you know, a lot of the times, and maybe this is something that's maybe bad or incorrect with our industry is I think a lot of people, when they think, oh, fundamental investor, you're immediately in like a value camp, sort of like, oh, you're only looking for value stocks. But is that the case? Are you, you know, obviously we all want good value, but, mm -hmm. but does, does, um, growth stocks and, and investing in the higher beta type of names, is that something that you will still do or is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I call it, uh, actually my, my, hedge fund buddy. Uh, his name is Travis. Um, him and I, we call it growth at a reasonable price. You know, you're, it, it can be a company that's growing revenues, double digits or very at very high rates, but for some reason or another, it's trading at a discount to its peers, right? It could be a scandal. It could be an uh, outage, you know, that happened. And if it's a tech company or something like that. Um, but yeah, I have some value in the portfolio, but um, I also have some growth in the portfolio portfolio as well. And I'll even sometimes put in the portfolio um, 
some really, I don't want to call them like, I don't want to call them like Kathy Wood type of stuff, but, you know, some vision, you know, looking way ahead in the future, thinking about what this technology could look like 10, 20 years from now. Is it a little speculative? Probably, you know, do they have a lot of revenue now? You know, there's the occasional a name that's kind of in that camp, like we're thinking really long term with this, and I'll put something like that in the portfolio as well. But it won't be a large position for me. You know, generally I try to stick with the value and the growth at a, at a reasonable price. That um, you know, I'm I can sleep well at night knowing that I'm not you know buying some absurd valuation. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. I mean, it's it's very common sense, and I like the I like that phrase, uh, growth at a reasonable price. And yeah, I mean, if something's growing at sixty percent, I mean, the price is probably going to be pretty expensive, but maybe it's justifiable if it's growing at that type of uh, year over year type of rate. So right. I like that, um, and that makes a lot of sense to me. So when you are, I guess, first coming up with an idea, you just gave us a lot of great criteria you are looking through on the fundamental side. What usually comes first? Is it is it the technicals where you're looking at charts and saying, oh, that that's an interesting sort of chart here. That's an interesting trend. And then you go look at the fundamentals or do you have pockets of the market that you're looking at and you kind of start fundamental first and then technicals? That's a great question. And I always go technicals first. Okay, nice. <laughs> always. Yeah. Yep. It's like in my blood. I can't, I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first thing I do is I pop up a chart and I look at the chart and I read it and I say, okay, this, this, like something that's gone like parabolic for, you know, months on end or whatever. I, I'm going to really, you know, say, okay, let me really look at this carefully and make sure, I, you know, and plus as a technical trader, you're always trying to like get the best uh, price around support and resistance levels or, you know, some type of key love price level that you're looking for um, to retest, you know, by nature, I sort of look for deals in that manner, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. I like it. Can't get the uh, the technicals out of your blood, so that I can't. <laughs> that, yeah, that's good. That's good though, because um, that's usually synonymous with risk management and all that stuff. So that's a that's a good thing, I think. Um, so, how many how many different positions would you have on in this type of portfolio? What's what's maybe a full on hundred percent long portfolio look like for you in terms of number of positions? I can have um, anywhere from 15 positions up to sometimes 25 positions. Nice. Um, yep. So it, it can kind of range, um, you know, depending on what the market is doing and what the positions are doing. Um, I try not to be too overactive in that portfolio because, you know, one thing I've learned in this is a lot of times you need time for things to play out and patience. And so... Uh, but generally, yeah, anywhere from like 15 to 25, depending on market conditions and what positions are doing. Yeah, that's a it's a good solid number. Each position contributes a pretty meaningful amount, but still gives you that diversity. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you have, is there a market environment, I should say, that you would have no positions? Would you go down to a full cash or, or fixed income type of portfolio on this? Um, probably not. Okay. Uh, if like, you know, there are just some names I'm never going to sell or it's going to be really difficult for me to sell them. Yeah. You know, like my Apple and my Square, I've, I've been, you know, scaling out some profits along the way on some of those names, but like, I'm always going to hold uh, probably unless something crazy happens, I'm likely going to hold those names for a very long time. Even though they're in my active portfolio, I'm, I'm still, you know, managing them and I'm going to, you know, likely keep them in. So there are some names like that, that I can see myself being in for just a very, very long time. Yep. Um, and I feel like in the markets, there's always opportunity coming and going. It's for me, you know, with earning seasons, you know, there's always drops in price and rises in price and there's just always things moving. So sometimes it can be difficult to like not have any positions on, in, in my case, with the way I'm doing it, because I'm there are so many stocks and there's constantly like this rolling, uh, you know, tumbleweed of opportunities that's always coming along just because of the nature of the markets. 
there's always a scandal. There's always, you know, some crisis or something happening, earnings um, flop or whatever that's causing these movements. And, and with that brings all kinds of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you think about your, I mean, I guess your ideal holding period is, is forever in the sense of it's a great company that's just, you know, hitting the marks every single quarter, but what tends to be the more realistic average hold time, would you say in, in your sort of holding periods? I would say right now about a couple of years, Okay, maybe two to three years right now that of course I do have positions in the portfolio that, um, I will get in and out of in months, you know, or in one year. But I would say on average, a lot of the stuff I've got in right now, I'm letting it work. And I've been letting it work, especially with 2020, you know, um, kind of pushing things along a little bit <laughs> more. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, a lot of positions, you know, went higher than we expected. And uh, it's, it was just the way it went. So a lot of that stuff, I'm still kind of riding. Um, but, I, you know, a couple of years is is usually pretty common for me. And are you trading around that position? Are you harvesting like profits into strength and then potentially adding back if it dipped enough? I've done that multiple times. I'm still doing that. You know, I've got a position right now uh, in Pinterest that I've scaled out of on the way up. I still have a you know little bit in there, but now it's come down because of earnings, doing more research, trying to figure out if it's worth adding to the position again, round tripping it, so to speak. If you know, for lack of a better word, yeah. but yeah, I'll, I'll do that for sure. And the ultimate exit or the ultimate kind of, okay, this time to move this position out of the portfolio, is that technical? If there's technical, like major trend breakdown on long-term charts, or is, does that have to come from your fundamental sort of thesis is, is broken or invalidated or no longer there? That's a good question. I, I would say more so on the fundamental side is kind of what's guiding that because I've had death charts that look like death stocks that looked like they were never going to come back and that market just hated them for whatever reason at the time. And then the fundamentals show themselves and the market finally realizes what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking and the company executes and executes and executes and then price turns around. So sometimes the technicals can actually be misleading when you're dealing with fundamentals. Um, and if you would have gotten out because of the technicals, but the fundamentals were still there for you, then you could have missed out on that turnaround in price because that's very common. I mean, uh, multiple, multiple times I've, I've thought that a stock is never going to work. And then, you know, you're patient, you continue to listen to the calls and look at their reports and you say, well, management's executing. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Like this stock is still a good value. And then eventually it just comes. So um, obviously that's a blanket statement. That's not always how it works. But um, I would say that uh, I try to focus on the technicals if, if that's truly what I'm in for. Now I have, and I still do, take swing trades based on just technicals alone. It's, gotcha. it's not as common, but I still do it um, occasionally. And in that case, yes, I've got very, that's like technicals only. I've got very defined set risk, set reward. And if that breaks, that breaks. Like I'm not trying to become a bag holder. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So that's what I do there. Right. So, so this, the shorter term swing trading, you're more kind of executing like a, like a machine and you're just, you're going in for that A plus setup, trying to get it and that's it. If it works or it doesn't type of thing. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So I know you've done a lot of work on sort of the, on, on yourself, on the emotional side of trading and the mental state of trading. And you kind of touched on it just a, a, a moment ago, but I know personally for me, so I, you know, I, I hear you talking and I'm saying, you know, I, I love this approach. I, there's plenty of companies where I'd love to hold them for two, three years because this seems like, you know, they're, they're in all the right things or doing all the right spots or, you know, so on and so forth. But 
The hardest part for me is just holding on because the day trader in me, the old day trader in me, you know, looks at like a daily chart and sees that big outside reversal, right? And on a stock I may like, but I'm still like, oh, this, this is going to come back for like two weeks. I need to get out of this. And I'm sabotaging the long-term vision. So what are the tips or techniques to hold on to these winners that you yeah. sort of think about on a daily basis? I think that first of all, it's important to define your strategy and understand if you're trading multiple strategies. Like for me, I'm trading, I'm a passive investor, I'm a short-term swing trader, and I'm also a long-term fundamental investor. It's like, you know, a lot of people are getting their wires crossed and different strategies have to be managed very differently. So I think the first step is recognizing, okay, what's my strategy? How do I manage this strategy? If I'm working with a whole nother strategy in addition to that, let me make sure that I don't confuse management styles in each strategy, right? So um, I think that that's the first step. And then, you know, the second step is you want to make sure that you're going into the trade or investment with a plan. I think I think looking at the technicals is, is really helpful. Um, but if you don't have a plan and you don't have set risk and set reward and understand, okay, if this company, you know, understand fundamentally, it's kind of confusing because we're talking technicals and fundamentals and that, you know, when you're combining the two, what's really important is, is this company still fundamentally sound and executing? If it's not, if my thesis is broken, I'm going to get out. And I think that sharpening that skill set on the fundamental side helps you learn when you need to cut it and when you need to stay. So, you know, it's really easy to say that like, oh, just know when it's fundamentally sound or not and when to get out. You know, it's like easy to say, but I will tell you this, that like the more you work with fundamental, uh, fundamental strategies and the more that you research and the more that you look at charts and, and back test things and, and, and get that, that skill set so fine tuned, the easier that becomes. So don't like expect, you know, you're going to nail it on the on the first try, right? This is a practice. Sure. I consider I consider trading and investing a practice. Just like yoga, um, you know, that's the best analogy I have right now. You're every day you're coming to the markets, you're learning something new, you're getting a little bit better, a little bit more flexible and a little bit more disciplined. So that's kind of how how I like to approach it. Um not I think position sizing is also a real key part of that too. If you are not properly sized for your risk tolerance and you get into something and, and it starts going against you, the emotions are just going to take over. It's just the way it goes. Yeah. What's the, uh, I forget the saying is like, there's, there's really only two positions in markets. It's having too much exposure and then just not having enough. And, and it's yeah. what we always deal with where something we own is just going straight up Bitcoin or Tesla or whatever. And it's like, oh, I wish I had more of that. But if it's going down, you're always like, oh God, I wish I had less of this. So yeah, I, I totally agree there. Position size is super key and it can make your life difficult or very pleasant. And we will be right back. Those of you who know Trade Risk know we are all about rules-based investing, and that's why we are so excited to have Investor's Business Daily as a podcast sponsor. It's almost impossible to avoid boom and bust trading cycles unless you've got a system that works and you're able to stick with it. That's where IBD comes in. They've been helping investors navigate market cycles with their time-tested methodology for over 35 years, which is why you need to check out IBD Digital their subscription service that gives you access to proprietary market analysis and top trade ideas. Start with the big picture to get a pulse on the market environment, then browse their exclusive stock lists like the IBD 50. Finally, use their stock checkup tool to find out more about a company. All of this is available to IBD digital subscribers and right now podcast listeners can get their first two months for only $20. Go to investors.com Evan that's investors.com slash E-V-A-N to get started for only $20. Now, back to the show. I want to sort of switch gears a little bit because you are a certified financial planner. And first off, 
what does that mean? What, what does a financial yeah. planner do for their clients? Yeah. So a certified financial planner essentially is trained on all aspects of finance. They're trained. You know how you have a certified public accountant CPA? Um, well, it's a similar type of, you know, it's a designation, just like CPA is a designation. A CFP is a designation that you can earn as well. Or the CFA, which is um, chartered financial analyst, I believe. And so it's just like that. Um but we're, we're trained across all things finance. So our knowledge goes very, very wide. You know, everything from taxes, tax strategy, to insurance planning, to retirement planning, to investment uh, management, to uh, budgeting and just estate planning and everything, you know, in between there. So I, I, I got into this as I was running a business and working with a CPA, actually he became kind of like a mentor to me and I became just enthralled with tax planning and um, strategies to, you know, save money on taxes and, and save money on taxes over my lifetime, not just now, but, but my whole life. And I, you know, have been utilizing my knowledge and my education to manage my own portfolio, my own wealth. Um, and so, yeah, we're just we're just finance people. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So it all fits. I mean, it all comes together. So it makes total sense. So when you're on like that side of the the business or working with a client in that respect, um, the stock market or the investing side might actually only be a small part of what you're doing with that person. Is that fair to say? In, in yeah, yeah. Okay. I actually am more focused on things like helping freelancers figure out how to set up their business, you know, helping self-employed people uh, navigate um, everything that they need to do to stay organized, have the right tax uh, structure or business structure. And, you know, it's, it's, there's so much more than investing in our financial lives. And I think that's what a lot of people kind of miss is, we all want to be invested. We all want to do the sexy thing, which is investing and trading, right? But if you don't have an emergency fund, if you are not investing and trading in the right types of accounts for your tax situation, if you you know are not protecting your family with the right types of insurance if you need it, you know things like that. There's just so much that it, it goes beyond just investing, um, and I just try to. Uh, try to teach that to people that, uh, it's not sexy, but it's essential. <laughs> totally. And it's the stuff that really matters and moves the needle and is the foundation. So I think, yeah, it's super important. And then where do you see, how do, how do you, how do you make sense of someone that should be maybe more passive versus active? I guess what's the, what has to lead someone into an active management scenario? Is it is it just their own interest in it type of thing? Or is there like a personality trait? Is it a certain return profile? Like who, who should be actively yeah. touching their money? Great question. Um, so people that nobody should or most people should not be actively investing their portfolio. Okay, most people don't have the time to do the research that is typically required to do it in a, in a, in a wise way. Um, and that's fine. That, that's totally fine. I would say passive investing fits for most people, but there are some people that love the markets. And those are typically the people that, you know, I've, I've dealt with, you know, whether working with them on the mental side or working with them on something else, they, love the markets. They want to be actively investing. They love researching stocks. It's just a passion of theirs. You have to love it because it does take extra legwork, you know, if you want to do it right. So I would say most people passively invest in their 401k or in a robo-advisor, and that's totally fine. And that's for most people. But there is that subset of the population that just loves the markets and they want to do it. If you don't like research and you don't like volatility, <laughs> you know, because active investing can come with some volatility oh, yeah. um, that you have to be able to stomach. Um, it's just the, the nature of, of the beast because stocks that are, in, you know, individual stocks, they move on earnings releases 
all the time in different ways. I mean, one quarter, it could be down the next quarter. It's right back up where it was and you have to be able to handle that. So, uh, I would say that, you know, it just takes, it just takes somebody that's truly interested in it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I guess you're, I mean, the perfect example, you are, a professional investor, but yet you still have a strategy or you still have an allocation to just kind of passive indexing, right? If, if I'm Absolutely. not mistaken. So you're doing, and I think a lot of people could kind of get the best of both worlds where they have some percentage dedicated to longer term and then they take a little bit and, you know, have fun themselves, or hopefully it's not just fun. It's, you know, doing it in a serious capacity to manage and invest. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything, so we get a lot of traders chart, just technical traders that are listening to this and, you know, maybe hear that you are, you know, kind of a a certified financial planner. Like, is there anything that maybe the heads down trader that is just trying to scrape out a slightly better entry, you know, method for their strategy? Like, is there any maybe upper level things they can be thinking about that maybe can improve their bottom line. You mentioned taxes, like you mentioned, and obviously everybody's tax situations will be different, but like there any other, like just above the ground, get your head out of the charts for a moment, make sure you have a couple of things in order um, to maybe improve their bottom lines. Anything come to mind? Yeah. Um, you know, if you have a lot of day traders that are listening, which um, I don't know if you do or not, but you know, for day trading, if you're truly meeting the definition of a day trader in the eyes of the IRS, there are things that you can do to um, be able to like, for the typical person, we have a cap on how how much in capital losses that we can deduct on our taxes. It's $3,000. And then you can carry over for the next year's anything you don't use. But, you know, for traders, they may have a lot more losses um, than that. And there is a, a way to be able to qualify for being a trader and having a trading business. And then you can write off your losses uh, against, you know, your gains. You can write off expenses to run your trading business and things like that. But the, the problem is, is you really have to be an active everyday trader to be able to do this trading business mm-hmm. strategy. And I, you know, always talk to a CPA and, and, and find out if that's something that you can do. Um, if you cannot uh, do that and you are not a day trader by uh, the IRS's view, then what I would consider is making sure that you're tracking tracking everything very well, tracking your cost basis, tracking commissions, because you know when you are when you are actually I know commissions kind of aren't really a thing anymore, but they are. I mean, like if you're trading on a heavy duty trading platform, there's typically still fees. I mean, I haven't I haven't. I know like for, for my trading platform, I'm still having to pay some commissions, yeah, but I, commissions. I, I don't know about uh, you or other people, but, um, you know, keep track of that so that your gain is, is smaller and reduced by any commissions or fees that you pay. Uh, and then trade in the right account, uh, because believe it or not, you can trade in an IRA. You can trade in a Roth IRA. You can trade in a traditional IRA. You can do a self-directed IRA and actually get, um, you know, get access to a really, you know, nice trading platform and be able to, to trade. Uh, and if you're doing this in the right accounts for your tax situation, that can really, you know, help you, you know, in the long run, uh, because we have mo- many different types of accounts we can be using. We can be using a taxable brokerage, which most people are using a taxable brokerage because they want to be able to access the funds now. But, um, you know, you can, you can actually invest in your, in your IRA, do a little bit of active investing there if you really wanted to. Uh, Roth IRAs are pretty amazing. If you can get a hold of one, if you qualify, you know, for the, for being able to contribute to one. Um, And I, I would say that for most people, understand that over trading can affect your wealth big time. <laughs> and it, you know, if, if you find yourself trading too much and the turnover is very high, um, that typically that, that can be something that you need to watch out for. Um, make sure that your strategy is actually working still get real with yourself and, and, um, 
double check that what you're doing is not going to blow out your account. You know, I, I, I try to tell people, um, just to get real with themselves, so to speak. And it's hard to do. It's kind of hard to do, <laughs> Very hard. but it's essential, you know? Yeah. I love those tips. And yeah, one of the, you know, I, I think I published a, a blog post a few years back on the fact that like, I love trading my active strategies in my IRA and my self-directed IRA, because I don't have to pay uncle Sam a dime on that or any, you know, at the end of the year. And it gets a lot of interesting kind of feedback though. And I think, I mean, you're not saying it, I'm not saying it. I don't think a new trader should just go take a full IRA account and just start trading with it. Like that's a horrible idea. But yeah, if you're a prof- if you've demonstrated success, if you've been doing this for a number of years, and now you can start to shift that to a tax deferred account, I mean, you can really compound wealth in a 10, 15 year time horizon with not paying any taxes on that. And that's a huge benefit. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point because the thing about a taxable brokerage in trading, you're dealing with ordinary income tax rates, you know, if you don't hold it for a year and a day. So, um, Uh, that's something to keep in mind. If you are trying to keep your income below a certain amount, because maybe you want to qualify for certain, certain tax credits, or, you know, maybe you want to keep your adjusted gross income under a certain amount for uh, a particular reason, then you want to be careful with taxable brokerages. um, Because if you're a trader, you're likely short term, that's going to be ordinary income. It's going to increase your income. So, um, and, 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 that's one thing. Um, it's it, if you can go for long-term capital gains rates in a taxable brokerage, that's ideal, right? But traders, they typically are in and out, and yeah. they're not getting that long-term cap gains rate. So that's kind of the issue there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean, that's I've never so I, I've never traded futures, but I know futures has the benefit too. If you're a short term trader, I know you said you'd started off day trading futures, but there is some tax advantage, right? Sixty forty. Yeah, sixty forty. Yeah, I think it's. I want to say it's sixty long term gain, forty short term gain. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to double check that. So yeah, another little hack there on uh, on certainly on the taxes side of things. So um, yeah, as we start to sort of wind down, a, a couple of of questions stand out. Do you journal your 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 trading, your investing, your kind of day to day activity? Do you do you journal? So when I was a day trader, I journaled yes every single trade. I I actually I found some of my old journals. Um, a few weeks ago and I was just laughing. It's just so funny to, to, to read back on that stuff. Um, but now what I do is I basically have a note for every single, uh, stock I'm either researching or something that I'm in and, you know, I'll kind of go in and I have this, this ongoing note of, of things that are happening with the company and I can, you know, quickly go into the note and I'll see, oh, the prior quarter I had written these notes down and I can quickly compare the two. So I do, I, I guess you can call it journaling, yeah. but I, I'm documenting thoughts and statistics and things like that in a, in a notebook. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Are there any beliefs that you have that you would consider maybe contrarian based on conventional wisdom? So something that I mean, maybe the, like we, we were just talking about the, the actively trading in tax deferred accounts. That's kind of something where, um, you know, maybe some people don't fully agree with that. I, I had another trader on recently and we were talking about the old adage of, uh, breakout trading and there's got to be volume on a breakout if you're going to take a breakout oh, trade. Oh, I and, gotcha. And, you know, and then we were debating, well, does it really need to? Cause I've done a lot of testing <laughs> and like, it doesn't really seem to matter. It doesn't. I mean, it's nice. It's nice, but it's not essential. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so it's it's kind of one of those things. So is there anything that kind of comes to mind that maybe either grinds your gears or you just find that you think of a little bit differently than other p- traders, people? I will say that I'm pretty well known in our community for loving short squeezes. So like <laughs> I am not afraid to buy a stock 
that has a high short interest, if I think fundamentally there's like a turnaround or like something mm -hmm. like that, like just because it has a short, just because it has a high short interest does not necessarily mean that it's a bad company. And it, and it always feels like there's like a time of year where suddenly all those stocks are just moving. It always is like around the holidays, right? Where we start to see like all those stocks getting squeezed. I don't know. Maybe it's my imagination on that. I love scanning for short squeezes short squeeze companies. I, it's like one of my favorite things to do. That and insider buying. <laughs> mm -hmm. Insider buying is a good one. Yeah. 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 Insider buying. Um, I, oh, I guess this would be a contrarian viewpoint. I don't know. I kind of touched on this earlier, but I do think that people should invest long-term uh, before they go for any type of day trading or trading period. I think it's opposite. I think that most people go trader to investor, but I think that the right way to do it is go investor to trader. And the reason for that is because when you're investing long-term, the longer your money is in the markets, the better. Even mm. if you have to just buy like an S&P 500 index fund or any other kind of index fund, um, you can quickly learn about what index funds are and you can you know, pretty easily get invested in one. That's working for you. That's earning dividends you know, set it and forget it. Then once that money's set and in there, then you start looking at capital that you want to try to grow by trading it. So I don't know if many people would agree with me on that, but it's my viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, it, it's probably a, it's probably a healthier way to start. Let's put it that <laughs> way from the emotional stand, you know, just, just cause yeah. But, but unfortunately I think a lot of people, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just getting started young, but I feel like most of the people that I know that got started young trading or investing were just going at it to make, you know, to make, to make that lifestyle, right. Or whatever the case was. So is there anything we left out? Anything that's maybe lingering or you want to touch on that uh, we didn't get to talk about in this? Um, I think we touched on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, me too. I don't know if we touched on enough of the of the mental side of trading stuff, but I know we did touch on that. So let's let's um dissect that just a little bit because it is, I mean, it is so important. So my so the way I combat a lot of that is just I want to just be a hundred percent rules based and and more on the quant side. And and that's how I sort of circumvent a lot of not to say that there's not emotions in that approach because obviously I have to look at the systems and, and, you know, deploy the systems, but what are some of the techniques for someone that is maybe just doing it by themselves that are looking at chart patterns or trading off technicals or fundamentals? Yeah. I mean, I have this, this whole framework for this, but, um, really to kind of sum it all up, it's, it all stems, the emotions all stem from risk, taking on too much of it and not knowing where you're going to exit, you know, or when to enter or things like that. And I find that sometimes with this stuff, one of the, one of the most common things that I see is people exiting trades or investments too early and they get impatient they get out because they can't handle it anymore. It's gone too far against them or whatever it is, you know. And one of the things that I that I find to be the most helpful is, you know, when you move your stop up or you, you know, you basically your mental stop or your hard stop, you move it up because mm -hmm. you just can't take it going against you. The first thing is zoom out. Because I see too many times people are way too zoomed in on price, mm. you know, way too short of a time frame. Zoom out, look at the bigger picture, look at the daily chart. What is the daily chart doing? Find the, find the true areas where the trend is breaking. Have we broken those areas yet or not? You know, and then you may find, oh, no, we haven't. I, I was too zoomed in. You know, we actually, there's still plenty of room for this area. Uh, I think that that's, that's, you know, something to definitely try. And the other thing is sometimes you have to sit on your hands and force yourself to let your stops get hit. You know, you have to force yourself to let price come against you without reacting. As long as it's not like, you know, at your actual 
stop level. Mm -hmm. But the problem with most people is they don't even let it get to their stop level. They'll just move their stop up and get out, you know, at the slightest sign of it going against them. So sometimes you just got to sit on your hands and let that, let, let that stop do the work and either, either it stops you out or guess what it reverses and, and works. Um, to, to get yourself used to allowing yourself to respect your own rules because you're the one that made the rule up. You're the one that set the stop loss, right? And if it keeps hitting, then you need to reevaluate your rules and reevaluate your strategy and say, okay, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I need to improve my technical analysis a little bit and understand where the true pivot points are, where the Mm -hmm. true resistance or support is, or, you know, whatever it is. And, and so, I don't know, that's just kind of a few things that, that I find helps people is, is just making sure that you actually allow your rules to play out so that you can decide from there, okay, I need to change this or that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like you were you were looking at my myself months ago, you know, or this this crypto run. Um, if, if I throw that into the mix, and and you know, from a personal anecdote, literally exactly what you said of of this market that just ran away to the upside. And I mean, I had a glorious thing happen, which I think everybody that was invested did. It was just dumb luck. But Bitcoin, you know, five, ten x, twenty, you know, whatever the case is, and all of a sudden it's this huge position, and I find myself wanting to just get out at the slightest because it's too big now. And like you say, it's this, it starts with position size and the fact that it got too big and now I'm trying to like watch every tick, it is a balance act or it's something where you need to really get that plan in place. I should be either selling some into strength or whatever the rebalance mechanism is, is probably the right answer. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, scaling it's, is so helpful with the yeah. mental side. Scaling yeah. out profits, yeah, scaling in and scaling out, I find to be one of the most impactful things to help with that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, it 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 just works on so many levels. You get to realize some hard earned gains, and then you also get to sleep easier at night, knowing you've you've locked in some gains, and you still have that position that you can obviously benefit from if it continues to work higher. So yeah, that's, um, that's a really good tip there. Awesome. Where can people find you if uh, they want to learn more about your work, stay on top of everything you're up to? Where can they go? Yeah. Um, so the podcast that I co-host with two others is wetalkmoney.com. Definitely check that out. Um, and then shetalksfinance.com is my website. And I've, I basically teach a lot of personal finance uh, stuff over on that side of, of things. Actually created a entire course to teach people how to do their own financial planning and kind of um, learn how to manage their money like a professional, so to speak. So yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. I will put all those links in the show notes. Those are all great resources. Love the We Talk Money show. I'm usually lurking in the comments. So I'll have to harass you guys next time. Yeah, Uh, now I'll know who who you are. So that'll be good. (laughs) Awesome. That's it, folks. All the notes and links from this episode can be found on our website at thetraderist.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in and hope to see you in the next episode. Nikki, thanks so much. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and call-outs, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.